welcome to the Hope Dealers Podcast. I am your host, Sean Fitzpatrick, and we are here telling you amazing hope-filled stories from the world of Hope is Alive Ministries. As the media marketing coordinator of Hope is Alive, and uh, as well as a HI alumni, I have had the pleasure of witnessing so many miracles over the last few years, and it is my honor to be here hosting the Hope Dealers Podcast. You know, with over 20 sober living mentoring homes spread across the country, there are always so many miracles and stories taking place in our world. And as Hope Dealers, we love sharing those stories with those who need to hear them the most. You know, whether you're a resident of the Hope is Alive program, maybe you're a family member of one of our residents. Maybe you're a current or future supporter of HIA, or most importantly, if you're the mom or dad of someone struggling with addiction, our hope is that these stories will bring you strength and hope in your journey. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Hope Dealers podcast. Again, my name is Sean Fitzpatrick, and today I'm here with a very special guest, my good friend, Kyle Jimboy. How are you, sir? Doing good. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, yeah. Glad to have you here. Kyle, you're a resident in Hope is Alive? Yes, I'm a resident over there at age four. Okay, so here in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been in the program? A little over a month now. Okay. So August 13th was my first day. Okay. And Justin was my first program manager and gotcha. switched over to Blake and Blake's been doing a great job. So awesome. We'd love yep. to hear that. And so a little over a month, pretty fresh, huh? Yeah. 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 I'd say I, with everything, I'm real fresh, fresh, fresh out the street, fresh, you know, fresh out of rehab. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my third month of sobriety as of the 17th. Well, congratulations. So, thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. And so just right off the bat, let me ask you a question. How many times have you tried to get sober over the years? As far as getting sober, this is the actual first time I took it seriously. Okay. So there's been times whenever I would quit doing using just long enough to maybe pass a drug test to get a job or just to, because I didn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> no real, sure. no real actually action taken, but it was only, it was this year that, and it was the 17th of, of June. Actually, I would say the 16th was the day that I, uh, I was like, it was, it was no more, you know? Gotcha. That's crazy. And how old are you? 38. 38. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for those of you listening out there, uh, it's never too late. It is never, <laughs> never too late. I'm telling you, I talk to people all the time that are like, you know, old friends of mine from back home, even that are like, well, it's just, you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm going to start all the way over now. Yeah, Absolutely. And you can't help but have that mentality at times. I mean, I, I, I was there too, where I was <clears throat> even before I had made that final decision on that fateful day where I was like, I'm already 38, you know, 37. I was, I turned 38 in rehab. Yeah. You know? So I was like, it's, I am what I am. You yeah. know, I, there's no, no real change in what's already been written, you know, and I, but what I was doing was just living my life in that past and just letting that my past define who I was at that moment. Right. And we don't have to do that. No. Past does not have to define us. I love that. It's great words there. So take me back a little bit. Just start at the beginning. When did you first get involved, uh, you know, with drugs, alcohol, really the world of addiction? 15 or 16. I would actually, I would say addiction was probably in, it, it was there from the get go. I'm, I'm a heavier set guy. I've always had some sort of, you know, we call it an eating disorder, mm -hmm. but I just like things in excess, you know, and it was, I guess I grew up in a house where I was kind of, I was spoiled, you know, I was given anything I wanted most of the time. Yeah. Uh, not like video games and stuff like that, but I mean, the pantries was always stocked. You know what I mean? There was very rarely did my parents say no to certain activities and stuff. Sure. 
uh, and I was always running around with the kids outside. Like that's the way it was in the nineties. You, we didn't stick around inside and, and play on the TV and stuff. We yeah. were outside and I'd go to you know, my friend's houses for hours on end. You yes. know what I mean? Without even calling or, or anything. And yeah, it was I'm actually, I was a nineties kid as well. I mean, I was born in 90, so I'm a little bit younger, but still I, I I'd say that to my friends all the time. I'm like, man, we played outside. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you went over was, to, you were, the only thing was, can I go to so-and-so's house? You yeah, know, and playing street hockey and tag football and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I was about 15, 16, well, the, you know, 15 into 16, I was going into high school and I started uh, messing around with marijuana. I started smoking pot, you know, just like mm-hmm. everyone, a lot of people started off smoking weed. So many of us. And it's not like I didn't try. Like there were a couple of times that dad would have his beers in the refrigerator and I would like just sneak off and have one, you know, yeah. and just, it wasn't like a big thing at that, at that time. But, uh, then the very beginning, it was marijuana, heavy use from the very get go. Cause I just loved the feeling I had whenever I was stoned, Yeah, you know? And then, uh, it wasn't long after that, that I got into methamphetamine. Really? So really, this year about 15 or 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. So 16 I was when I first started methamphetamine. Okay. And what it was, was one of those just. I was staying at home, ditching school with a buddy of mine, and he happened to have some of his of his dad's. Wow. Okay. And he was like, "Man, this you know, you ever done this?" And I was like, "Nope." But there I was, you know, willing to try new things. Sure. Things were working out great with marijuana. You know what I mean? I was like, "This this probably just is good." So yeah. Uh, tried it, loved it. You know, and that was the bad thing. I was hooked immediately. I found this energy that I had never had before. And it's it's hard to describe it without possibly triggering anyone that's listening. You know sure, what I mean? But sure. in the end, it was just, it was a feeling that I had not found before. And it was it was the opposite of marijuana. But I just had that happy euphoria feeling. And just yeah. next thing you know, I was getting schoolwork done because I wasn't that great in school. But here I was getting homework done. There I was paying attention in class. You know what I mean? And it just... Uh, and even at some one point, I ended up in night school, and it was like one subject a night for four nights. Mm-hmm. So, and then next thing you know, I, me and a friend of mine, we would do our thing, and then boom, we're done with our studies for that night, and yeah. we move on to our elective packets and stuff. So, wow, I almost contributed to me graduating, graduating high school. High school? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, uh, in the end, it wasn't the best way to go about it. I will say that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny too is whenever I tell people that I was hooked on methamphetamine, when they see me, they're like, no, nah, you know, you're, you're too big. It doesn't matter. You know, sure. The appetite was affected and stuff like that. But what it was helping me do was just, it was, it was more mind altering than it was physical. Yeah. So you graduate high school somehow. Right. <laughs> and, uh, what happens after that? Well, I graduated high school a year late. And that was more, and that was more the pressure that my parents had put on me. And I, sh- I shouldn't say pressure; they just pushed me to get that done. Mm-hmm. And I remember, <laughs> they might not remember it, but I handed my dad and mom the diploma at graduation. I was like, "Here, this was for you." And dad was like, "No, that that was for you." So let's stop right there, just for a second. That's a really that sounds to me like a key part of your story, just in the sense that so many times we do things for other people and not for us. Mm-hmm. And by the time we do it, we're like, yeah, well, here you go. It's like, no, here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, in your case, a high school diploma. Uh, but for a lot of us out there listening and uh, myself included, you know, uh, the first time I ever went to rehab, it was like, all right, well, I'm doing this for you guys. Get off my back. And they're like, no, you like this is for you. Do something for you. 
the issue is when we do stuff for other people and not ourselves, then the feeling never lasts. It's never enough because we were never doing it for us. That's right. So it really came down to where and see, and I kept contributing my drug use. Like I was took pride in the fact that I was stoned every single day my senior year. Yeah. But on top of that, you know, every week I was getting more, more stuff. And, 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 and I, I say stuff, I was just, I was getting more meth. Yeah. Doing it to stay, so I could stay up, cram for tests or, you know, get homework done overnight and stuff. And I keep crediting that for me passing high school whenever I could have just, you know, if I had just really put my, my own self into it, my mind into it and just done the work. I didn't need a substance to get it done, but I thought I did at the time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was mom and dad did, didn't do it just so they could feel better about themselves. They were, they were pushing me. So that way I would have something to, to lean on whenever I got out of high school, they wanted me to go to college. They wanted me to have a good job to where I wasn't having to, you know, my mom and dad broke their backs most, you know, pretty much all their lives to put the roof over the head our heads that they did. You know, my dad was a diesel mechanic. My mom worked at the post office. She's retired post office. So she was always getting like broken toes from the racks and stuff at the post office. My dad was always coming home, just cut up and bruised and just back broken from, from working on diesel trucks all day. And they just didn't want me to have to do that. Yeah. You know, so whenever I, yeah, they were just looking out for me in the end. They were just being really good parents, you know? And then there were times when I was like, Oh, they were just, they were too hard on me. They were pushing me too hard, but that was just, I just wasn't pushing myself hard enough. Sure. No, they were probably just doing as parents do. Yeah. Caring for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, uh, they care a little too much and that gets us comfortable because mm-hmm. we think that that's all that safety net's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And one thing with them too, is they never had experienced like that side of life where it came to drugs and it, there was a little bit of addiction maybe with my, my dad, but mm-hmm. he was real, like whenever it became a problem, he just stopped drinking. Right. Whenever it was, whenever he saw that, that there was a problem in the house, he just kind of quit doing the thing. And I don't know how he did that. You know, some people have that kind of strength. Some people don't, but, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, but, uh, whenever they, I would, I would hide my, my meth addiction and my, my marijuana addiction from them. You know, and, and I mean, they were, it's not that they were naive, but I would tell them, you know, I'm going to go do this. And in reality, I'm going to go do that. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm telling uh, this one time I, I told them I'm going to the movies with my friends. We were not going to the movies. We were going to go to the lake to get stoned and, you know, and, and yeah. I ended up getting their car stuck in the mud and they yeah. had to come out at like midnight, get the cops are called and jeez, yeah. And then, uh, I remember the first time I got arrested whenever, uh, I was 17 and it was like a shock to them. Like, I, we can't believe you're doing this. Like, really? I've been doing it for the entire time. You know, I was 16, right? 17, all the way up to that. I was doing it in the bedroom, you know, putting the old towel underneath the door, thinking that that was stopping the yeah. smell and stuff. Mom and dad would come up and my room just smells like incense. Like I'm just some, you know, some sort of shaman in there yeah. doing spells and stuff. But no, it was a, I, I can see where they didn't want to believe that some of that things were happening, but it was, you know, and I was keeping it a secret from them. Yeah. So <clears throat> just moving down the road a little bit, it sounds like it was much of the same after high school. Just after high school, it was, yeah, pretty much. Um, I didn't go into college like they had wanted me to. I ended up just working uh, and the mind's so fuzzy. I can't even remember like exactly what, it, what jobs I was doing right after high school. Uh, 
I think it was like jobs at GM. There was a, a logistics job at GM at one point. And uh, of course, every job that I would have, I would lose. I, yeah. would, I would just get bored with it and just quit. Yeah. Dad had not raised me that way. He's always told me, if you were going to quit a job, make sure you got another job before you quit the job that you had. You right. know? And in the end, also give a job a chance. Because I would work one month, two months, and be like, eh. Yeah. But and it was funny too was I was so smart that I would, every job I was at I was like, "Hey, I'm the best at this." You know, right. they love me. They they they're never going to fire me or I'm, you know, I just I had that mouthpiece, that mouth always running. Yeah. And just had that mentality that I was just smarter than everybody and just better than everybody and it was far from that. So eventually it got fast forward a couple of years and I ended up moving out with a buddy of mine, a couple of buddies of mine. And that was whenever we really started ramping up the, the usage of stuff he had one was selling coke i was selling methamphetamine we were all smoking weed you know yeah. so and it, and i never was really good a lot of people were like got that money story like yeah i was making really good money i was not i was <laughs> making just enough to, to stay pretty high most of my my yeah. years so but um it, it just every it seemed like i was the person that you would go i, I never wanted to be that guy that was bringing people down, but I was. I was always, whenever it came to being a yes man, hey, did you want to smoke a bowl? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Hey, you want to do this with me? Yeah, you yeah. know, I was, I was always that guy to be there for you if you wanted to do something messed up with your life, you know? Sure. Ne never really trying to help out people. And then I had that mentality of like, oh yeah, everyone loves me because I'm always helping them out with something. Yeah. But like, it, it was just Because you're always to give them. Right, yeah. And uh, I was always the one that would, you know, when I'd be out of money and stuff, I'm just hanging around, you know, waiting for someone else to, give back to me like oh surely they're going to remember me and what i've done for them and all this you know but but they don't but they don't they never yeah. do <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break here with a quick word from our sponsors and uh we'll be right back with the amazing story of my good friend kyle here see you soon This episode of the Hope Dealers podcast has been brought to you by Finding Hope Support Groups. Finding Hope is a support group for loved ones of addicts. Through our meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones who have been impacted by addiction. Finding Hope Support Groups currently has 40 meetings across the country. To find out more, visit findinghope.today. All right, Kyle. So we were just talking about... Um, the later years or the, sorry, the, uh, the years after high school near addiction. Um, what leads you to finally decide I got to get some help for this? So that was just into my twenties. And, uh, I mean, the, it, the pattern just continues on, on into my thirties. Like I never really grew up, you know, mm -hmm. even 25, 30, 35, I'm still doing the same stuff I was doing when I was 18, you yeah. know? And, uh, I'd been through a couple of relationships. All of them were in some way affected by, you know, because of the drug use and all that. And uh, I actually ended up going to prison uh, whenever I was 36. So this was 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had uh, made some mistakes, ended up going to prison in 2018. I, I went and did a six-month stint in Granite. Okay. And when I got out, it was even harder to find a job. You know, it was already hard before because, you know, trying to pass drug tests, it was, and I couldn't even quit long enough to pass a drug test now at this point. Right. So now add on the the fact that I've got this felony, you know, this, and it's, it was a, a violent felony at that. But in, in the end, I did what I was asked, what was asked of me when I got out, um, 
I was still wasn't being held accountable. Uh, you know, the things that I would get caught for weren't the things that you would think I should get caught for. So what I ended right. up going to prison for wasn't even for like my addiction. So my addiction was going unchecked yeah. the entire time. And so you don't think you have a problem with that. That's not the problem. Right. You would, you would think that that wasn't. Yeah. So I would just continue, even though I would address, like I would, I went to uh, uh, this thing called batter's intervention program, took it serious. I took it seriously because it was 52 weeks, $25 a week. So I was going to get something out of it for sure. Yeah. And I ended up learning a lot, you know, about myself and the, and the, and the, some of the toxic things that I would, I would do in relationships. You know I mean? It's a two way street. You know, I was always the one that was like, it was never my fault. It was always someone else, you know? Right. But, um, that helped me a lot when leading to some of these choices I had made at this point. And then, um, I was working at a dispensary, which is like the worst place you could go if you ever want to get clean. <laughs> yeah. So, and then that, that obviously didn't work out because I was just smoking way more than I was supposed to. You know what I mean? I didn't even have a card. I was just working at the place. So, uh, <clears throat> I ended up just, I, and see, my story just goes around in circles. I just kept making bad decisions. Right. And, you know, it seemed like every decision I would make was a bad decision. And then I would tell myself that every time you make a decision, Kyle, it's the wrong one. So what's but going the, on? But the thing with these bad decisions that we're talking about, they all are related to one thing, right? And that's substance abuse. Mm -hmm. yep. And that is something that a lot of people have a hard time coming to grips with. You know, they feel like, you know, they've just had a run of bad luck. Mm -hmm. Things just are not going my way. I can't catch a break. But when we kind of take a step back, look at the common denominator of it all, it's like, yeah. well, if I would just stop doing this, Maybe this stuff stops happening, but you know, it's hard to see that. Yeah. And see, and you would think in 2012, I had a son. Okay. And I, I didn't even get to be in his life for the first two years uh, that he was alive. I got to watch him grow up on Facebook mm -hmm. and it's, and I, I, I'm at the point in my life, right? There's no blame on, on his mother. You know I mean? We're good now. Um, you know, I get to see him regularly and stuff, but that wasn't always the case. You know what I mean? Even whenever I had finally got to see him, I still wasn't present because I was like, he, you know, I'm not the one that needs to be around him. He doesn't need me in his life for sure. Sure. And then in 2017, I did have an attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. And it was all because of that bad talk that was going through my head that I was just going to be a bad father. He was better off without me, that my parents would be better off, that my friends, who so-called friends, you know, <laughs> they're going to live a better life as long as I'm around. I'm the one that's keeping everyone down. I'm the reason the world is going to be set on fire. Yeah. You know, so I had made a, a realization while I was at Red Rock that a lot of my decision-making was because of the substance abuse, because of the methamphetamine, because I'd be up for eight days seeing shadows and stuff and this, just had this voice in my head that was like, look what you're doing again. You know, here we are. Yeah. You know, you're 30-something years old and you're still doing the same stuff. Uh, so it finally reached a point where I, I had a good job uh, working at an auto glass shop and I had it for a little over a year and a half. And then my boss found my dope pipe. Now, this is the first time that I finally have gotten caught with this drug of my choice. This is the first and you're time. how old? And then I am 37. Okay. This is the first time you're getting this caught. This is the first time I'm going to actually suffer some sort of consequence of my actions for this. Yeah. Uh, and the first thing my boss told me was, she said, you're, you need to go to rehab. You need to go, you know, get... Get, get this figured out before we can hire you back on. Sure. 
And at first, I, she said I had 30 days to do that, and I ended up coming back to work after 30 days like, oh, I just I couldn't find a rehab. I didn't really try. You know what I mean? I was just like, well, maybe they'll just accept me back on because, once again, I contributed a lot of my success at, at our, you know, and work in general. I couldn't get up without smoking a bowl. I couldn't get up without doing some sort of what you would call an eye-opener. Right. So a lot of the times whenever I would get some work done, it was, you know, it was because I was high, I would think. You know, but I just had never given myself long enough of a break to know whether or not I actually had it in me or whether or not it was the drugs. So you're not really get at the point of desperation. You're not right. You're not ready to get clean. So when they went ahead and let me go and they're like, well, we're going to have to go ahead and part ways because you didn't do what you didn't said. hold up your end. And then I was just like, well, that's it. I can't get another job. Not even not once that I consider stopping. Sure. Not once that I ever consider changing my life, you know, or, 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 you know, even looking at the past decisions I had made at that point, I was just like, well, I'm done. You know, it's over. There, there's no, it was hard enough finding this job and it was a good job and now I've lost it and I've lost everything. Yeah. You know, not really. I still had my son that was looking, you know, who still needed a father, my parents who still had all the hope in me, you know, to, to get right. Uh, I can't say I was surrounding myself with a positive group of people, Mm-hmm. You know, it was all, all my, all my drug friends, you know? So yeah. it finally reached ahead, uh, this year. And I had actually made a, it, it was, I was at the hemp hotel, <laughs> not, you know, <laughs> shout out to the hemp hotel, but, uh, uh <laughs> and it was just some weird things were just happening. I'm with a buddy of mine we're at one of his buddies and we're just, Doing dope and there's, you know, and, and I don't do heroin, but there, you know, that friend of mine, the friend through the friend and he was, you know, nodding out and stuff. And just like, it was just, I found myself just feeling very weird and, 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 and immoral, <laughs> you know, where I was at this hotel and I could have been at home with my son. I could have been at home helping my parents who are aging. You know, I could have been doing anything else, but that, but that. And so I, and I, at, and that day I was already late going because i had called I had, I had got the okay from valiant house to come into rehab yeah. and i the moment i got the okay i was like they gave me like four days and i took off i took off from the house like didn't tell anyone where i was going i was just like okay i gotta get as high as i can for this next four days because it's it's about to be over so when all that happens i finally call valiant house in the hallway and i said hey is that bed still open and they were like well we're kind of frustrated with you about yesterday and i was like I totally understand he was like well if you can make it here by noon we got you i said cool i can do that hung up the phone i knew i wasn't going to make it by noon mm-hmm. but i at that point like i said it just everything had just clicked in my head where i was just like i've got to do something else this is not the path i'm supposed to be going so before you keep going mm-hmm. i just want everyone out there to uh hear this it sounds like you, you're just at this point where nothing specific really happened. You just kind of look up one day at your surroundings and you're like, what happened? Yeah, there was nothing happening. That was that was right. kind of my problem. Yeah, <laughs> Nothing has happened. Exactly. Yeah, there was, an, there was no positive thing coming out of any of this. I, I was basically the yes man for the wrong reasons. I was saying yes to anything that would get me high at that point. Mm-hmm. And... But finally, you realize you've got a son out there who needs his dad. Yeah, and you know what I mean? And I, it was just a year before I'd missed his birthday. I had almost missed Christmas. I had missed my mom's birthday, my yeah. dad's birthday. I'm missing holidays. And I never, 
ever thought I would get to that point. That was one thing I had always thought I would be was at least present. And that was when I finally realized that for a whole year, I just missed everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? I even missed my own birthday at one point. I just didn't. And I wanted to make sure that no one else knew about that birthday too. I didn't want any part of any, any, any holidays. Cause the only thing I wanted to do was sit around and get high. Yeah. You know, that, that was it. That was my reason for being. So I dropped my friend off and I head home. Once again, I know I'm not going to make it to that, to, to Conowa by noon. Cause I live in Moore. Yeah. And I pull into my neighborhood and I don't even make it to the house. I make a left into this cul-de-sac and I park and I'm like, here we go. You know, what am I going to do? I still had some, some weed left over, you know, and I'm smoking out of a socket. I don't even have like a real pipe. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm smoking out of whatever I could find. And I'm like, man, this is about to be it. Is this really the decision I'm about to make? And I'm like, it was that self doubt. Like, you know, you don't even know who you are sober. You know, what if you're just some were even worse than you are when you're high? What if being high is what makes you a good person? But what was a good person at that point? Right. And then, so I was like, man, I got it. I wish I could see myself talking this way. So I clicked on the video onto my phone and I started making a video and I started talking to me. I started talking to Kyle. Now I do have this alter ego that I called Jerry and I just, just to put a name to it, but just because whenever I would talk to myself, that was not me. Right. You know, whenever I was looking in the mirror and just, just doing all that self doubt, you know, unworthiness, that was not me talking to me. Yeah. That was that was someone else and that was Jerry. Mm -hmm. So as Jerry started talking to Kyle, Jerry was tired too. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry had reached where he's like, Look, man, you're messing up so bad that even it even looks weird to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so this video that I made, I even posted on YouTube. And I, I didn't post it until I got out to Conowa, but I posted it on YouTube that way. I could rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. And anyone else who wanted to see it could rewatch it and see it and see the mentality of a person that was really at their wits end that had finally just said, this is it. This is what you've done with your life. And you have an opportunity to change things by going and getting clean, by taking the opportunity that I was given to go to rehab. I had parents that were going to be fully back in me. You know what I mean? They were going to be there. They were there from the get go. They were every time the smoke cleared and I didn't have any friends around. They were the ones that stepped up. Yeah. You know, and it was always them that, that I had always blamed like, oh, you know, y'all just don't understand. Y'all are just so hard on me. And yet they were the ones that kept picking me back up. And then as there was to do. Mm -hmm, and I had my I still had some sort of faith. I would talk to God, but I was thinking I wasn't getting any answers back, not realizing that a lot of the things that were happening in my life was his answer when i tried to commit suicide in 2017 and didn't die that was his answer yeah whenever i was talking to myself about being a good dad and and putting myself down for not being there that was in a sense his answer yeah that's because that was you know that was the moral part of me you should be there look i was a strip club dj for years, for, for a long time. And that even at that point, he was talking to me because it became, I couldn't do it anymore because that was like eating at my heart what we were doing. And I could not understand that. Right. Like here was, this is what made my money. And what was weird was I was making 10% of their earnings. I was making his tide. Wow. You know what I mean? And that's so, yeah. 
It really always like the the I looked at my morality as that was him trying to let me know that what I was doing was not the way to be. Now, granted, now I realized that that whole everything that happened in my life had to happen to get where I'm at today. So all the way up to the point where I'm calling Connell from, you know, from the hemp hotel and I'm making that video when I got in my neighborhood and I was telling myself, look, you can't even pull in your driveway. Like you need to quit doing this weird stuff. People see this. Yeah. You know, and I finally just told myself that I loved myself and that I loved my family and that I, you know, and that I was doing this for the right things and turned the video off, went, turned my keys into my dad. Like here, here's your truck back. And if we don't go to Connell now, I probably never will go. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, went upstairs, threw some things in a trash bag, and we were off. And uh, and now this is past noon. I'm already maybe an hour and a half, two hours late. And we're just now making the trip to Connell, which takes an hour and a half. Yeah. So I had full acknowledgement. I, I, I just knew that I probably wasn't going to get accepted. But that was not the plan. I, like I said, I had already reached that point in my head where I'm like, this is happening whether whether I want to or not. So even if I had to go down there and they turned me away, I was still going to wait until my parents had drove off. And then I was just going to go sleep out in the street until they had a bed open. Sure. You know, because I was just, that's just where I was at. I was committed. Ready for a change. And that was something I had never done before was to commit to something and follow through with it. You know what I mean? I I was just, I was like, if if I was going to do something, this was going to be it finally. So we make that trip to Connie, you know, mom and dad were like, okay, let's go. You know, so we went and... They accepted me. They went ahead. The The guy that I had talked to wasn't there, but they didn't just kick me back out. They just, they were like, okay, yeah, bed's still here. You're here. Welcome. And that was it. I watched, I remember watching the taillights leave the, the, the parking lot and I had already kissed my son goodbye and that I'll see him, you know, later. Yeah. And they had started taking my devices and stuff away from me. And I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm here now. Rock and roll. You know? Here we go. Yeah, here we go. And I, and I was still, I was down that this is still early on and I still was feeling kind of alone. I had not had that spiritual awakening at that point yet. Uh, a matter of fact, a lot of the times whenever we would go into our little counseling sessions, I was saying, I don't want a religious experience. I just want to get sober. Mm-hmm. Good luck having not having a religious experience when you're getting sober. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's no real science behind it. You know, it's, it's yeah. more of a, more of a willpower and that, that voice in your head, it, it's either you're letting the devil rent space in your head or you're going to let God in your heart. Right. You know, so good, man. So good. So whenever I had this pastor, uh, who was also a counselor there, his name is CD Curtis Loftus. And he started real. I mean, he's real, real deep into the word. He's, 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 him and Kelly, this, this, the, the other counselor, Kelly, and they weren't counselors. They weren't even like our main counselors. They were guys that would like babysit us on the weekends. I, I always called them babysitters, but Kelly was anointed, man. You could just feel the presence of the Lord and all just running through his veins. And then CD was really good with the word. Yeah. So anytime I had questions about what God was trying to tell me or what the Bible was trying to tell me when I would read it, he was able to kind of clarify things for me. And I credited CD a lot for that spiritual awakening because he started taking us to his church, uh, Life Community Church in Seminole. Uh, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord's Community Church in Seminole. And it was there. 
I was talking to CD about something the day before, and this is at Connemore in rehab. I'm talking to him about how I was having troubles waking up without, you know, looking for that eye opener. And I was telling him how I was questioning my worthiness, my worthiness in heaven, like the, the good deeds that I would do. I'd look up and be like, God, you see that? You write that down, right? You're like, yeah. you know, you're taking notes. You, uh, and so after talking to him for a while and he's just trying to give me comfort and just like, you know, give it time, you know, it'll come and, and you just, you know, you're fresh into this. We go to church the next day throughout the service. We go through service at the very end. One of the other pastors, her name's Nita comes up to me and says, I just, I needed to pray with you. And I was like, okay, yeah, well, I don't even know you. Yeah. So she starts praying with me and she starts hitting on these points that I was making with CD the day before. She said, I was told that you were questioning, questioning your worthiness in heaven. You were questioning your spot in heaven. Mm. And I was told to come pray with you and to let you know that that spot is there. You just got to let him into your heart. Wow. You know, so she prayed with me. Of course, I, at that point, I'm kind of got my tears slowing and stuff. And I finally introduced myself at the end of the prayer, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and when I get out there, I'm like, oh, okay, so CD talked to her, you know, he's, he's one, oh, good, good prayer, good, 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 strong prayer, you know, and, and all that. So I asked CD, I said, man, or I tell CD, I said, uh, I really do appreciate you having her do that for me. He's like, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, no, the, the prayer, you know, that stuff that we were talking about yesterday, you know, you, you, you had to pray for me about it. Like, thank you. You know, right, I'm, I'm right. trying to tell you, thank you, CD. He's like, he starts going on the HIPAA law. He said, dude, we work at a, at, a, at a rehab, man. He said, HIPAA law, I don't talk about anything that happens inside this place anywhere else. He says, what we talked about, that's confidential. Wow. I said, there's no way. I said, then someone told her, you know what I mean? And I was just white at that point, ghost white. And it was just, it, I finally let it sink in that that was God. That was God trying to talk to me. And it, it was another couple of weeks had went by before we were able to go back because COVID had kind of hit the house. One of the guys who got COVID. So we had a quarantine for a couple of weeks before we were able to go back. And I finally went back and I went back with every intention on trying to debunk this thing. But what I ended up doing was just thanking her. And I said, you know, and I did ask her, I said, look, what made you come to me? with that prayer. And she said, it was the Holy Spirit. She said, the Holy Spirit told me at that moment, when I looked at you, that you were struggling, that you had, she said, and I, and you know, and I think back to the day, I was like, there's no way I was singing. I was clapping. I was raising my hands in prayer, you know, in praise. Yeah. You know, there was nothing that I was physically doing that I knew of that would say, Hey, this guy is really struggling with, with, you know, with the word of God, you know, with, with, with having the faith and, 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 understanding and she just said she said like i said that day she had pin she had pointed me out she singled me out came straight to me and i was the only one that she prayed over that day yeah so when she said that it was the holy spirit it just started dawning on me i was like these things that i i just he had been talking to me the whole time and i just hadn't been listening yeah you know all i had to do was not open my ears so much as open my heart right. and understand that the things that he was trying to get to me trying to tell me were, were the whole time I would have these questions. Why are you not talking to me? Yeah. And then like that one day I got stuck in a tornado uh, over there in Midwest city, you know, and I, <laughs> I'm underneath the bridge and all of a sudden this thing just, I guess went over the head and it ended up just, you know, demolishing some, not demolishing, but it broke some things, you know, further on down. But it was like, 
it was right after I had just left the house, you know what I mean? And I was, I was doing some dope at, and I was just down, you know, like, what, am I supposed to live this life forever? And then next thing you know, you know what I mean? All that was happening. Now, no. I, you know, never took that as a sign. I was just like, oh, that was close, you know? Like, right. but then it was, it was things like that that would happen, like I said. And it was finally the, the Lord started really talking to me directly. And it was times whenever I'd ask him, and I was still still having problems with with letting the devil, you know, rent that space in my head, let, sure. letting that evil rent that space in my head. Yeah. And I would ask myself, why was I worthy enough? Why did you keep me from dying in 2017? Why didn't Why didn't I get to die like I wanted to? And just a, a voice in my head, you know, kind of just said, because you wouldn't have come home. Mm. You weren't supposed to die at that point. I yes. said, well, okay, well, now I'm on this new path. What if I fail you? He said, you never have failed me. You're still standing here. Yep. You know, he said, I never let you touch the ground. You think you're at rock bottom. You haven't even seen the bottom. You're still here. You're yeah. still fighting. Wow. You know, so while I'm at Hope is Alive and that I'm getting this, you know, new, newfound spiritual awakening, Brandon and Matt show up with a... Uh, well, hold on, back up. So okay. what, what brought you to Hope is Alive? Brandon and Matt. Okay. Brandon and Matt, yeah. They come down there to Conwall to talk about this program that's in the city called Hope is Alive. And I had already planned on going to a sober living when I had got out. I didn't know if I was going to immediately be able to get into a sober living because I still needed to get a job. I, you know, I still needed to get some money, my own vehicle. Uh, so, I, I mean, and my parents, as long as I was doing good, were fully there to support me. They were going to help me. Now, you know what I mean? I was going to live with them if I had to. But I had already, you know, at this point made that decision that I'm not going back to those people that I, I was kicking it with and hanging out with before. I had already made that conscious decision that drugs was not the way. Yeah. Yeah. And Brandon and Matthew from our recruiting and outreach team, um, they bring a meeting to your treatment center. They do. And okay. so it's, and it wasn't a, it wasn't so much a meeting as it was. They were there specifically to talk about hope is alive. Sure. Yeah. The, the program they had. And I had already been talking to, uh, Shakila and Patricia and CD and Kelly about what kind of treat, what kind of sober living I want. I said, I really need help you know, staying grounded. I really want to stay grounded in my faith. I really want to stay grounded, you know what I mean, with my family. And I was like, is there a program out there like that? They had mentioned something about HIA before, and we had these pamphlets sitting around, but I never thought about it, never even opened them. Yeah. Matt and Brandon show up, and they start really talking about Hope is Alive, what it is about, the brothers that they have, you know what I mean, the, the kind of, the unity that we they, that they bring, you know what I mean? I mean, and it's, it says it all in our culture code. Like I got it on my phone, you know what I mean? We celebrate everything. We we are we get to be here. You yeah. know what I mean? And all these things were just right up my alley. You know what I mean? All the way down to the faith-based program. It was the walk with God. This this where I was at at that point already was all thanks and, and glory to God, you know? Yeah. So it was very easy for me to be like, these, these, this is it. This, this is, and especially when Brandon told his story, Matt showed me the pictures of what he looked like before and the things he was going through, you know, and, and just the transformation that they had, they had gone through. And, and especially Brandon, I mean, Brandon just from his story and everything he was saying, it just made a 180 and was just doing terrific at that point. And I just looked at them like, I want that. I love that so much because, you know, as we've said, the 
the whole idea of this podcast, the Hope Dealers podcast, is we want to tell stories. And how great is it that so many of our stories, um, there comes a point when it's somebody else's story that brings us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and it's not even it's see our stories are so similar we might all have different experiences but in the end we're all telling the same story yep so whenever someone starts telling their story i can put myself in their shoes and be like i've been there i know what you went through yep. i know exactly what's going on you know and i can't tell you the answer but i can tell you what's working for me and what they were telling me was what was working for them and it, i mean that and at that point once again had to open my, my heart and realize that was that was the Lord telling me, this is something you need to look into. This is what you really want to go ahead and pursue. So with help with my counselor, we, we, we even put in for the scholarship. Now, at that point, I had already made the decision that Hope is Alive was the goal. That was not, you know, anything else. Whether the scholarship happened or not, I was getting into Hope is Alive. Sure. Period. So I even, and Justin was the one who started calling me and we would, we would talk every week, you know, saying, or it was every other day we would, yeah, Justin would yeah. call or I would call and, uh, just, just to build up that relationship with each other. You know what I mean? That way he, he kind of was familiar with me before I came in and I would talk about my day, you know, there at the rehab, what I was going through, you know, some of the things that were happening. And, you know, and then I, I, in turn, I would just be like, well, how's your day? You know I mean? Don't even know you yet, but like, are you having a good day too? You know? And then ended up kind of just naturally caring for him before I even had got down here. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And then, um, so it, it, I really do. And so you've been here about two months now mm -hmm. and you're at H4. Mm -hmm. That's my old house. How awesome is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're at H4, you're about two months in. How's life today, brother? Is it good? Sounds life like is it. fantastic, man. That's awesome. I tell you what, the I put if you put the work into it, and it is. I'm not saying that this is easy. Sure. You know, what I mean, because nothing easy, or sorry, nothing worthwhile is easy. No, no. But it's and it is. It's worth it. You know, we come to these, especially when you're in phase one. Everything is required. Yes. You know what I mean. You have to be at these meetings. You have to be at Bible study. You have to go to midweek. You have to do so many meetings a week. You know what I mean? You have you have to be a volunteer day. But these are those things that I if if I was given the choice, who knows if I'd really make that right decision. So I like I like the structure that they're helping me build. They're the foundation they're helping me build by requiring me yeah. to be there. Yeah. Requiring me to be at church. It, that allows me to build up because, like I said, I've, I, I, well, like I told the guys before, my knowledge in the Bible is not so great, and I, I wanted a way of building that knowledge up. Well, you can't do it unless you put the work in. You, where do you put the work in? You got to go to church. Yes. You know, you I mean you got to go to Bible study on on Mondays. You know what I mean? And and be there and and talk about it. You got to read the book. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just expect. Someone, you know, I guess, I guess over the years, I'd always look for that quick answer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just implant the SD card into my head so I can just have the knowledge. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You've got to actually put in some effort to get anything out of it. You know what I mean? And, and since I've been here with the work that they've had me doing, my relationship with my family has gotten so much tighter. Yes. My relationship with my son has yes. been great. I mean, he, and he loves coming over to the house and, and visiting. I love that. You know what I mean? And the guys are terrific with him. That's you know, great. I love being there for 
other people in recovery because that's the first thing we do is to help out the next person who is still suffering. Yes. Like I said, I don't have the answer, but I can tell you right now what's working for me, and that's this program. You know, Hope is Alive really does give you that spiritual structure and foundation that you need to continue this way of living forever you know yeah. what i mean if you can and it's none of those things where this is just my first step this is a tiny step yep for the rest of my life you know what i mean I, I this isn't something that's going to fix itself overnight you know what i mean i'm still fresh in my in my sobriety it's only been three months but i've never been more excited about it than i have been now and it's because of hope is alive that's given me that excitement about it i love hearing that i like how you said this is the first step because you know a lot of guys you talk to, they'll say, well, 18 months, because it's an 18-month program normally to finish it. And a lot of guys will say, well, 18 months, that's a long time. I'm like, 18, you know, and once you look at it from the outside, it's like 18 months is a blip. Just mm -hmm. one little step in the rest of your life. Yep. I love that, brother. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kyle. I hope uh, everybody else out there is as fired up as I am right now after hearing that incredible, incredible testimony uh, be sure to uh, like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review on the Hope Dealers podcast. And uh, once again, thank you, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll see you later, guys. This is the Hope Dealer podcast. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back. Take my time. Just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so alive.